0: Chapter Eighteen of The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Scarlett, Louisiana. The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square by Mrs. Henry de la Pasteur. Chapter Eighteen The Lonely Lady, Still More Lonely. For gold the merchant plows the main, the farmer plows the manor, but glory is the soldier's prize. The soldier's wealth is honor. Burns Uncle Roberts sat in one of the gilt and brocaded Louis C.'s chairs of the morning room at 99 Grosvenor Square, with his hands crossed upon the knob of the market umbrella he held between his knees. He wore his rusty old greatcoat, which he had refused to leave in the hall despite Hewitt's anxious persuasions, and he had put down his old round hat upon the delicate blue cover of the Book of Beauty. He was in a state of agitation indescribable, and Jeanne forgot her astonishment at seeing him in London at all, in her awe at beholding a man who was usually so stolid and immovable thus beside himself. His light blue eyes stared at her miserably from the forest of red-gray hair which surrounded his weather-beaten face, The wretchedness of his look and of his tones appalled her in the midst of her sorrow. His tears, the rare and difficult tears of a man who has not wept since childhood, filled her with reverence as with pity. "'I've been to the war office. i done what I could,' said Uncle Roberts, trembling and unconscious of the drops that were falling over the unkempt beard and whiskers that Louis and Jeanne had so often deplored to each other. "'You seen the papers this morning?' yes i have seen the papers they could tell no more than what was written on the papers it seems there ain't no hope of seeing him no more in this world they sent him on a wild goose chase and killed him and all for nothing uncle oh uncle you must not talk like that it makes it so much harder he was doing his duty you always say a man can do no more she cried in anguish he has laid down his life for his king and his country as, as his father did before him but her efforts died away into choking sobs and he was only twenty-five and all his life before him said Jean, and she sank on her knees and wept as she had not been able to weep for the familiar presence of uncle roberts brought back to her the memory of louis at home on the farm and opened the fountains of her tears the sight of her agony did more to restore the old man's self-control than all her attempts at consolation he stretched his arm out and laid his rough hand not ungently for a moment on the brown head then he rose pulled himself together and walking to the window blew a trumpet blast into his red cotton handkerchief the storm of jeanne's weeping passed and she too controlled herself and smoothed her hair about her little ears and confronted her uncle with pale face and dimmed and sunken eyes a dozen newspapers were scattered about the room each had been scanned in desperate hopes of some fresh item some hint of a possibility that the disaster was not final that those who were missing might yet be recovered but the same heading dreadful uncertainty the same clear and appalling details were reported in all somaliland disaster ten officers and a hundred and seventy-four men killed. And here was the list. And the name of Louis de Corset in black and white, and among the other brief pathetic paragraphs, was the one which summed up the history of his short life so far as it concerned his country. Captain Louis de Corset had served on the Indian frontier and during the Boer War. For his services in South Africa, he was twice mentioned in dispatches and received the DSO. He was in his 26th year. All the rest, for Jeanne, was summed up in that portion of the main telegraph which was headed, all died fighting. Kept back enemy's forces until no more ammunition. At last, enemy's forces overwhelmed Square and annihilated all with the exception of 37 fugitive Yowes. What are you going to do? said Uncle Roberts. There is nothing to be done. I have been waiting and waiting and waiting for him all this time. And it was for nothing. This was indeed the feeling of the whole household. A dreariness indescribable had descended upon them. Nothing had been settled since their old lady's death. They had all been waiting with Jeanne for the return of the heir. And now he would never come. Will you come home? said Uncle Roberts. She shook her head. No, no, there might be... Oh, Uncle, I am praying day and night that there may be some more letters. The last had no messages, nothing special. But perhaps later, he may have written just before the... the disaster, with some presentiment. But this was a fight beyond Uncle Roberts' powers of imagination. What good can letters do now? His head sunk on to his chest. I never thought to outlive the lad. he said almost angrily. Then, as though the words had led him into another train of thought, he asked suspiciously, Has that lawyer chap been nigh the place yet? Hewitt went round to Mr. Valentine, Dunham said he must directly we came home, said Jeanne. "'But he has not returned from his Easter holidays yet. "'He is in Switzerland.' "'Someone else came round from the office, "'but I said I would see no one till Mr. Valentine came home. "'He is very kind, and he knows about everything. "'He will tell me what to do.' "'Uncle Roberts looked uneasy. "'I've no faith in lawyers, nor yet I ain't no match for them. "'Still, I don't like to leave a bit of a girl like you "'to fight them all alone,' he said in a troubled tones. "'There will be no fighting.' said Jeanne with a wan smile. Aunt Caroline trusted him. Ah, I dare say, rather contemptuously, Jeanne sought for an argument, more likely to convince her uncle of Mr. Valentine's probity. Louis had heard all about him from a brother officer. He wrote that he trusted him too. Did he? The lad had a good head, said Uncle Roberts, and his brow cleared. I'll warrant he wouldn't say so without cause. If there were any difficulties, there is my cousin Denis, said Jeanne wearily. He brought Dunham and me home last night. We were staying, as I wrote you, with his mother. Aye, the letter was a bit long, but I read it all through. I don't hold with dukes and duchesses, said Uncle Robert's gruffly, but if they're relations, you're very right to be civil to them. Blood's thicker than water. When you're tired of em all, you can come back home. No doubts assailed his honest mind, but that coet must always be home to little Jeanne. If they can be of use to you, so much the better. I doubt you'll be cheated out of all this fine fortune the poor lad was to have got. He said heavily, "Twill be naught but a burden upon a bit of a girl like you." Do you mean that, that it is me it all belongs to now? Said Jeanne. I never thought of that. Who else? Twas left it to him outright. How shall I know what he would wish me to do with it? Said Jeanne, weeping. Then her face was suddenly illumined. Oh! How could I have forgotten? He said there was a letter which he sent to the bank long ago with his insurance policy. I was to read it only if something happened. Mr. Valentine has it now. That will tell me what he wishes. But no, no, it can't, for it was written long before poor Aunt Caroline died. It will not help me. But at least, at least, I shall see his dear writing once more. Did the lad insure his life long ago? that the debts be left behind him might be honorably paid, said Jeanne proudly. And oh, uncle, I may tell you now, he said I was to get the best horse that money could buy for you besides. He wanted to show you how grateful he was for all you'd done for him. Oh, Louis, Louis, you left nothing undone ever in all your life that you could think of. I don't want no horse, said Uncle Roberts. But he cried as he said it. What did he want with debts? Couldn't he a wrote to me if he wasn't able to pay his way as he went along? Oh, uncle, was Louis one to ask? If I kept him short, t'was for his good. I was brought up to believe a man should earn his bread, said Uncle Roberts, and his voice shook. God knows I grudged him not. You did everything for him, cried Jeanne, and she came and knelt beside her uncle and laid her wet cheek against his beard. You gave him his start in life, as a kinsman should do you think we would either of us forget it? And after that, what shame is there in honorable poverty for a soldier? But it would have been shame for an officer and a gentleman to take your hard-earned money and play at being rich. Louis was never one to do that. Oh, thank God he leaves a name unstained. Unstained, she sobbed. Uncle Roberts went back to Couetteville, and Jeanne was alone once more. In a darkened room, with head aching and cheeks burning from long hours of bitter, hopeless weeping, she lay, listening to the ceaseless jangle of hansoms and the alternate nearing and dying sounds of horses' hoofs that came to her through the open window. As she counted each chime of the clock, she had a wild feeling that she must be waiting still for the bell that would never ring, the hansom that would never stop, the tread that would never come up the stair. Presently a step did sound on the stair, for the Duchess had come to town, and would take no denial but forced her arbitrary way into Jeanne's presence. Yet perhaps it was well she did so, for of the mixture of motives that prompted her action, Jeanne's innocent eyes only discerned one, and that was the honest sympathy which prompted her warm, motherly embrace. Poor child! Poor little Jeanne! Is there any fresh news? Has anything more? No. No, Denis has made every inquiry. Alas, there is nothing, nothing left for you, my poor child, but to mourn your hero and be proud of him. The tears in the Duchess's eyes were genuine. She kissed the burning cheek and drew the aching head to her ample bosom, petting and soothing Jeanne as though she had been a child. But you can't stay here alone, my love, said the duchess presently, in her authoritative voice. Yes yes indeed i must until i get his letters and know if there was anything he wished the lawyer has not come home yet i am better here i shall grow braver when i have had time to face it i shall be able to attend to to business when mr valentine comes with a marvelous effort but the stake at issue was so great the duchess held her tongue i am coming downstairs to-morrow said jeanne only dunham thought it would be the best thing for me to have one more day to rest up here and i came to disturb you but i won't stay poor little thing only remember if you want me i will come at any time i am in park lane close by you know and denis is thinking of you day and night he is very very kind faltered jeanne she closed her eyes for a moment and the duchess did not guess that she was reproaching herself passionately for her happiness on that bright spring morning was it only three days ago when Louis, Louis, had she but known it, was lying dead in the desert? Oh, let me die, let me die, moaned poor Jeanne in her heart. She came down on the morrow and faced a worse ordeal than the visit from the Duchess, for a card was brought to her scribbled over with Cecilia's pointed writing. Surely you will see an old friend dearest to Jeanne. Oh, yes, I will see her. Why not? said Jeanne with dry eyes. She felt as though she could weep no more. After all, what did it matter what Cecilia said? I heard the Duchess of Monaghan had been let in, and I was sure if you could see her, almost a stranger, you would not refuse an old friend like me, said Cecilia, who knew nothing of Jeanne's visit to Chalicea. It is very kind of you to come, said Jeanne, dully. Cecilia looked at her, almost with awe. Jeanne seemed to have lost her prettiness and her fresh and youthful look. Her cheeks and lips were pale, and there were hollows beneath her brown eyes, stained and reddened with long weeping. A note of genuine sympathy sounded momentarily in Cecilia's voice. "'Oh, poor, poor little Jeanne. Will you come and stay with me? Joseph is away, so we should be quite alone. I am sure I should be very thankful to have you, for I am nearly as lonely as you are,' said Cecilia, shedding a few tears." Thank you very much. It is very kind. But I must stay here. I am waiting for Mr. Valentine, said Jeanne. Well, I won't press you against your will, said Cecilia with her handkerchief to her eyes, for I know what you must be feeling by what I am feeling myself. Thank you, said Jeanne. Cecilia began to recover herself, but still cried a little at intervals. I can't tell you how shocked I was, nor how grieved. It reminded me so, these things always do, of my own loss. You know, i told you i lost my baby a boy six months old pneumonia yes you told me said jeanne it makes one able to feel for others more having been through just the same thing oneself said cecilia not but what this is worse than ordinary death Also, blank no funeral nothing it makes no difference said jeanne speaking with dry lips oh why had she let cecilia in You would not say so, said Cecilia, sobbing, if you knew the comfort of having their grave to cry over and keep nice and tidy. It may not be much consolation, but it is something. I dare say it might be to you. I should not feel it so, said Jeanne in a hard voice. Cecilia's sobs took from her every inclination to weep, and she felt only a strong desire that her friend should go, and that speedily. Well, I am glad to see you are able to keep up, said Cecilia. For I was half afraid you would be like me. I was utterly prostrated. No, I am not utterly prostrated. I am able to keep up. Yes, people take things so differently. But of course I was there. That makes a difference. Perhaps it is better when one doesn't see them after all. Perhaps it is. Said Jeanne, Have you seen the Duke? No. What do you suppose made the Duchess call? "'I don't know.' "'I suppose,' Cecilia hesitated. "'Was it too soon to talk of such things?' "'Really, when there was no funeral, it was very hard to tell. "'It must have happened on the 17th, according to the papers, ten days ago. "'But then Jeanne had only known four days.' "'She looked at the set white face and decided it was too soon to mention such matters. "'Besides, it was quite certain. "'He would have left everything to his only sister. "'Jeanne would undoubtedly be very rich.' You look so tired that I don't think I ought to stay, said Cecilia, with a sudden outburst of renewed sympathy. I only came to tell you how very, very sorry I was. Goodbye, dear. If you want me, you have only to draw a line or send a message. She pressed her friend's hand and went away at last. The Duke did not come. Jeanne knew that he called each morning and evening at the house and asked how she was and whether there was anything to be done that he could do, but he never asked to see her. Nobody understands, but Cousin Denis thought Jeanne. She remembered, but almost as a dream, that hurried journey from Callenslay that he had put her alone into the carriage with Dunham, and traveled to town himself in another compartment that she might be free to indulge her grief unseen. Throughout the journey it was he who watched over her comfort, and yet never obtruded his presence, and scarcely spoke to her. But every thought of the Duke brought with it a fresh act of self-reproach how could i how could i rejoicing in the sunshine so full of brightness and happiness light-hearted and my boy in that burning desert marching to meet his death i didn't think i never thought he has been in so many dangers and come so safely through that her self-reproaches were unreasonable made them no less severe they poisoned the secret well of her happiness and rendered the recollections of those bright spring days intolerable. She never doubted but that the Duke divined her thoughts. His perceptions were so acute, his sympathies so delicate. He was gentle as a woman, far more gentle indeed than any woman she had ever known. She put her hands to her eyes as though to shut out the memory of the grave, fair face, the kind blue eyes, the expression of melancholy, raillery. as one who, for a long time, had only looked on at life half amused half mournful ah how could she think of denis what was he to her when her twin brother comrade an idol of a lifetime who had no place for any one but her in all his brave faithful loyal heart lay dead in africa a little parcel with a note was brought to her it was addressed in the duke's clear minute handwriting i am sending you a miniature I think it may comfort you, even though I fear it must pain you to have it now. Anything you do not like in it can be altered. I took the photograph you gave me to an artist some time ago, and gave him what directions I could from your descriptions, but it only came home last night. Denis. She tore off the wrappers and looked at the miniature. It was like and unlike, as such paintings usually are. The eyes were the eyes of Louis, but the face... Copied exactly from the last photographs he had sent, was the face of a graver and older Louis than she had ever known, and the mustache made it almost as the face of a stranger. And yet, oh, yet, how glad I am to have it! I will put it with the other miniature, she said, and suddenly realized with a dreadful pang that Louis was now numbered with that company of the dead, whose portraits, cold and smiling, hung round the walls of the silent gallery above she felt alone indeed she realized as she had never realized before that louis had been to her in all her past life the only reality in a world of shadows among the figures who had moved upon the horizon of her limited view the only one who counted the discovery comes to many of us whose horizons may be crowded with thronging figures that very few of them are real so far as we personally are concerned. What the others think may be interesting or amusing or false or true, but it doesn't really matter to us, for they move across our lives like phantoms in a dream. They talk to us and we reply. The words mean nothing. We meet them and smile and part and smile again, for our little landscape is neither the brighter nor the duller for their absence. They suffer, and we would help them if we could, for who would see humanity suffer and not weep? yet our heart of hearts will never bleed for them. But for the few, how different! Their lightest word, how fraught with meaning for us! Their thoughts revealed, how sacred! Their companionship, how satisfying to our lonely souls! And the silence of their absence, how unbearable! And when those beloved spirits vanish, in their turn, from our horizon into the unknown, whither we may not yet follow, then how that horizon darkens, how hopeless the longing, how drear the outlook, how empty the world. End of chapter 18